Four Corners Church exists to provide families in North Cincinnati their greatest opportunity to become fully developing followers of Christ. We hope that this week's episode encourages you, challenges you, and brings you closer to Jesus. We would love to hear from you. So at any time, email nextsteps at fourcornerschurch.com, and we look forward to connecting with you. Thanks for listening. Well, good morning, Four Corners. All right, and in the house, we're doing pretty well. At home, we hope that you are having a blast. Thank you so much for joining us today for our service. Uh, Just an honor that you would choose to take a little bit out of your time. We know you're busy. We know you have a lot going on, but being a part of our church service with us. So we're going to look in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 12. If you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles, if you want to turn on your phones, however it is that you dive into the Word, we're going to be looking at 2 Samuel chapter 12. And while you're turning there, I want to take a moment and just thank a lot of people. Uh, Something that you know about our church is that we are a church that Pastor Ben, from the beginning, kind of his heart has been for families and specifically for the next generation. And I'm thankful that we have so many people, so many volunteers, so many foreseers that over the last several months have continued with that mission of reaching the next generation. Uh, I could go down a long list, but I want to give you a couple of them. Mr. Mike Brisky has learned how to record himself on Zoom. Give it up for him, Mike, so that our preschool kids would have a Bible story every single week. So thankful for that. She's in the house. Miss Teresa Brand, on her own, just started writing cards to every single kid in her classroom. My two girls in her classroom got a card from Miss Teresa saying, hey, we love you. You're not forgotten. I'm thinking about a guy named Mr. Seth Harms, who over this period, he had a student. Give it up for Seth. In his small group, had a birthday, it was quarantine, he knew that his student in his group was probably not going to have the most favorite day ever, so he went and got his favorite meal, Buffalo Wild Wings, he drove it to his house, they did social distancing outside, but he spent the birthday with the kid in his youth group during this season so that he would know, hey, we still love you, we still care about you. There's so many more, but I want to give one more. Is Mr. Jacob Daniels. Um, Jacob is phenomenal. The thing I love about Jacob is he's been a part of this team that um, has been taking students uh, and kids, even bags, just a little, hey, we miss you, we're thinking of you. And one particular week, um, we got a call that someone was sick and we're going to be able to take their bag. And so my wife and I were just going to take care of it ourselves. Jacob calls me. I'll never forget it. He said, hey, I heard so-and-so couldn't make it. I'd hate for a student not to get a bag this week. Would you like me to take it for you? And I'm like, man, thank you so much for caring about our students. Can we give it up for all of our volunteers, all of our church? There's so many people that, have, that believe in the mission and vision. I'm just so thankful for each of you to continue to reach our kids, our students, our next generation. So I'm going to read from 2 Samuel chapter 12. And I'm going to read just a couple of verses, verses 15, 16, and 17. I believe it's going to be on the screen for you. So here's what it says. After Nathan had gone home, the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife, if if you're not familiar, this is Bathsheba, all right, so this is the lady that um, David slept with, he committed adultery, this is who they're referring to, she was Uriah's wife, had born to David, and he became ill, Their, their child, their son is sick. David pleaded with God for the child, he fasted and went to his house and spent the nights lying on the ground. The elders of his household stood beside stood beside him to get him up from the ground, but he refused, and he would not eat any food with them. The title of my message this morning is Hope is for the Weak. And if you're online, you know that I need you to engage. I want you to type that in right now that I know you're listening with us. The title is Hope is for the Weak. 
Can we pray? God, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for the time that we have together. God, I pray that in the next few moments you would speak. You would do what only you can do. And God, you would open our hearts. You would open our minds to receive your message and your truth from your word. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said? Amen. Amen and amen. <clears throat> Excuse me. So does anybody have any hopes today? Anybody have a hope? Anything that you hope for? Uh, sure, we, we all have hopes. If I went down the list, every one of you could come up with something. I asked my daughters last night in preparation for this message what their hopes were. And if you know my daughters, you will know that their responses are indicative of their personalities. So they're both three. And I asked Kinsley, Kinsley, what do you hope for? She said, um, I hope to play with daddy. And I was like, that's why you're my favorite child, because like you are so sweet. I'm just kidding, they're all my favorite. And then I asked Brayley, Brayley, what do you hope for? And she smiled real big, and I knew something good was going to come. She said, I hope to eat flowers. And she started laughing, and then she went further and said, with bugs in it. And then she just died. I mean, it was hysterical. I mean, like crying, laughing. Her and Kinsley are falling on the ground. I'm like, so you hope to eat flowers with bugs in it? And she said, yes. That was what they hoped for. We all have hopes, all right? Some of you, I was joking with a few people earlier, some of you hope that Joe Burrow is going to take the Bengals to the promised land. That's a far-fetched hope, but you can hope, right? You can dream, and maybe, maybe he'll do it. Some of you, you hope that maybe your date this weekend is going to go really well. You've never done a Zoom date, but maybe this weekend it'll work out for you. You got hopes, but the problem with the word hope is, is we use it for a lot of things. We use hope to encompass small things. We also use that word to encompass big things. And so when we, when we refer to hope, sometimes what we do is we refer to things that we would like to happen. But we also do sometimes when we refer to hope is we refer to things that we need to happen. See, there are things that I would like to happen in my life, but if they don't, I'm not going to lose any sleep about it. But there are things that I need to happen in my life that are big and they have high stakes that are part of it. So for example, when I played football growing up, if you asked me if we were going to win on Friday night, I said, I hope so. But we had more games. The season would go on, right? But my senior year, when it was playoffs, and you asked me if I was going to win, I said, I hope so. But it was a much bigger stake. There was much more there because it may be the last game I ever played, right? How many of you have ever dated? I remember when I asked Whitney to be my girlfriend, like, I hoped she would say yes. But there wasn't a lot at stake there, just my pride, really. I mean, she could say no. We could date for a little while and break up, but that happens. There's not a lot at stake. But when I asked her to marry me, there was much more at stake, right? This is who I'm going to spend the rest of my life with. This is who I'm going to have a family with. This is who I'm going to grow old with. Like, this is a big, big deal. This is not just something that I would like to happen. This is something that I need to do really well, right? Or how about having kids, Right? Some of you have had kids. I remember when Whitney and I were, were married and we tried to enjoy our first few years of just being together. And people would say, are you going to have kids? When are you going to have kids? Isn't it time? You've been married for two weeks and you're not pregnant yet. When are you going to have kids? And we would always say, well, we hope to one day. It's something we'd like to do, not something we needed to. But many of you know, whenever we found out not only that she was pregnant, but that she was pregnant with twins, people would ask, are you ready? And I'd say, man, I hope so. Like... Like, there's a lot more at stake here, right? It's not just something I'd like. I mean, I need to do this really, really well. And so my message this morning isn't so much about the things that we would like to happen. My message this morning is for the people who need some things to happen. My message this morning is for people who, who, who need hope that God can do something miraculous in their situation. 
A message this morning for people who need God to do something that they cannot do in and of themselves. They hope that God will do something because there's so much at stake. I'm thinking about couples who are pregnant right now. Who, you know what, if you were to ask them, you know, what they think, they would say, man, I hope to have a healthy pregnancy. And I hope that there's a safe world for my kids to grow up in. And I hope that one day they're going to be able to live in a world that looks semi-normal. Like, that's a big, big deal. That's not Joe Burrow going to the Super Bowl. That is my child that I have hopes for, right? Or, or, or maybe, maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking about, man, I'm, I'm in need of a job or I'm worried about losing my job. And there were fam- you have a family, you have a spouse, you have dependent people who need that income. And whenever I talk about hope, you immediately go to, man, I hope that this is here because I need it to be in my life. This is not a, a small thing. Or, or maybe you're a parent and you're watching the effects of what the last several months have had on your kid. And, you know, several months ago, if you asked, are you doing a good job as a parent? You'd say, I hope so. My kids laugh. They play video games. They go to school. They get cuts and bruises. But if I were to ask you today and you said, I hope I'm doing a good job, it takes on a totally different thing because you're worried about the long-term effects of what this is going to have on your child, right? Or think about someone, a friend who just got a terminal illness, (laughs) an illness that that as you look at it, you say, man, you need God to do something incredible in your life. This is not a, I hope to get over this cold. This is an, I hope that God will do something miraculous in my life and in my body. What I'm talking about this morning are not things that we would like to happen. What I want to talk about are things that we need to happen. And if we believe that God is an all-powerful, all-present, omnipotent God, then I need him. I hope that everything I believe is true. That he is who he says he is. See, if you need hope, if you know someone who needs hope, even if you don't in this moment, I'm telling you, you will come to a season that you need hope. This message is for you. So we look in 2 Samuel chapter 12, and uh, I love the main character here, David. We all know David. We love to think about David facing Goliath and hitting him with the sling. And we love to think about all the cool things that he did. He's fighting giants. He's leading massive armies. He's just an awesome, awesome guy. But what we find here in 2 Samuel chapter 12 is we find a father who is broken. We find a father who is in a desperate situation where maybe before if you'd asked him if he hoped he was going to have a healthy child, he yeah, sure. But now he knows that his child is sick and he needs God to show up. And if he doesn't show up, his child's going to lose his life. And that's a hope situation that we're talking about this morning. And so the Bible says that he immediately begins to go into prayer and fasting. All he knows to do is to to turn to God. He won't listen to the elders. He won't even eat. He won't even get up. He won't do his job. The kingdom can wait. My family can wait. The only thing that matters right now is that my child somehow be healed of this disease. You know, isn't it interesting that whenever we're in a situation where we don't want, where we wouldn't like, but we need hope to happen, when we need God to show up, isn't it interesting how nobody has to tell you to pray? So what I found whenever we desperately need God, when we desperately need hope, it's almost innate within us. It just kind of happens without us even thinking about it. I've never walked into a situation where it looked scary and had to ask permission to pray. You know what usually happens is they ask me, would you pray? People who don't even typically pray, in that moment, you talk to them, and it's just like all they know to do is they're praying. They're saying, I need something to happen. I, I, I don't know what's going on here. And what, what I found is that we, if there's something innate within us, something within our souls, whenever we realize that we really are weak, 
that we really don't have all the power, when we really don't have all the answers, what I found is whenever our soul meets that moment, whether we know it or not, and innately says, I need something bigger and stronger and greater than myself, and what happens are prayers of hope begin to come out of our soul. See, some of you, you've been in those moments, and right now you can remember how deep, how fervent, how passionate those prayers were. You've probably never prayed more. I love talking to people, and they say, I've never felt closer to God than whenever I was in this situation that I needed hope, because there's something in your soul that says you need more. You need something greater. This is not something you would like. You need God to show up. And so as we talk about prayer during this series, I believe that prayers of hope always come from places of weakness. Prayers of hope always come from places of weakness. Because there's something within your soul that says, I am weak, I'm not strong enough. It's as if our soul, without even having to study it, knows the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians. It's like it knows what Paul is saying in 2 Corinthians 12, 10. This is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, and in difficulties. It says that he delights in weaknesses because he knows that when he's weak, God is strong. He knows that his, his soul knows that it's in those moments when you were desperate, when you need something to move in your life, and that moment is when God shows up in the most powerful ways. That's why people who never pray, pray in those situations. That's why people who are scared, pray. That's why people who don't know what to do, they pray. That's why people call on the church. That's why people call on you, believers. And they say, would you pray for me? People you haven't heard from in years. I need you to pray. Because there's something within us that says I'm weak. And prayers of hope come out of that. But the thing about hope, the thing about being desperate in those situations, is we have to be very, very careful what we do. See, when I'm desperate, I'm liable to make a mistake. I'm liable to do something that's probably not the most wise in that moment. Right? You ever been there where you're just desperate for something and you do something like, man, that was a mistake. I should have never done that. Right? I played football in Texas. Right? So two things about Texas. Number one, it's hot. Number two, football is king. Everybody plays football. And so we're having practice one day, and it's well over 100 degrees. We're exhausted. Right? Everybody's drenched in sweat. We need water. It was not abnormal to lose 8 to 10 pounds of water weight in one practice. That was just how hot it was. And so at the end of practice, our trainers had all gone to the locker room. And what they did is they set up water and Gatorade and all the replenished bars. And we had this treatment program we had to go through. And so they're all setting up for that. And we're just exhausted and we're tired and we're thirsty. And then here's what coach says. He says, all right, when we're going to end practice, I want you all to sprint back to the locker room. And you're going to get your water. You're going to go through your treatment program. And we're like, awesome. So he breaks out the huddle and we all take off running back to the locker room. But as we're running, there were several different practice fields that our team had. One practice field, and I'm not a farmer, so some of you are going to know exactly what this is. I'm sorry. I didn't know. I still don't know. There was like some massive thing on wheels that was like moving across the field, and it was just squirting water everywhere. Now, it's probably 105 degrees. We're covered in sweat. We're exhausted. We're 15, 16, 17 years old. What do you think we did? I'm not running all the way over there. If there's water right here, that's exactly where I want to be. So we ran into the field, and this is like, you know, like when you think of football, you think of like, oh, rough and tough, and usually you are. But in this moment, we were like five-year-olds. I mean, like we're throwing our helmets. We're running in the water. We're just splashing. We're giggling. We're having a blast. We're drinking the water. It feels so good and so satisfying. Like, man, we're having the time of our lives. 
What we didn't know was whatever this machine was, it had been chemically enhanced to strengthen the field. It was putting stuff into the grass that would make it strong, hence why we weren't practicing there that day, right? And here we are just fluttering around in the water, letting it soak all over us, and we had some consequences to pay. There were some not-so-good benefits of being there. What happened in that moment is we knew we needed water, and we went to the wrong source for it. And because we went to the wrong source, although it was satisfying in the moment, we had a price to pay later on. And what I found was whenever we get desperate for hope, we get desperate for something, for anything to happen, what we'll do is we'll go to the wrong source. And in that moment, it'll be very satisfying. And in that moment, it'll feel right. And in that moment, it'll feel like you're going to get through. But on the other end of that is a lot of pain and a lot of hurt and a lot of disappointment. You see, what I found on the other side of that is that it's a breeding ground of pain and disappointment that you and I fight and we go to and we know that it's not really the true source, but yet in that moment it feels so good. It tastes so good. I feel like that's what I need and what I want. You see, here's the thing about hope is if you are not careful what you put your hope in, I'm telling you, you will walk through this life frustrated with disappointment, with anger, and with pain, and you'll consistently point at the wrong person because you never put your hope in the right thing. So where do we put our hope? I love what Matthew 12, verse 21 says. This is Jesus, and he's quoting Isaiah. He's quoting back in the book of Isaiah, I think, chapter 40. Here's what he says. He says, in his name, the nations will put their hope. He's saying, hey, my name is Jesus, and in my name, the nations will put their hope. So if you're taking notes, if you're commenting on the video right now, what I want you to do is the next point is hope has a name. Hope has a name, and his name is Jesus. You see, what happens is we place our hope in a spouse, and they will disappoint you, and they will frustrate you. And what are you going to do in that moment? We place our hope in a job, and what do you do whenever that job disappoints you, whenever that employment ends? We place our hope in a cure, and maybe the cure doesn't come. Maybe it doesn't save you. We place our hope in a doctor, but the doctors are not all powerful. The doctors do make mistakes. They have some things out of their control. And what we do is we place our hope in thing after thing after thing after thing. And then what we have is a bunch of broken, hurting people who put our hope in the wrong thing because hope has a name, and his name is Jesus. You see, they may be very, very skilled, but I'm telling you, they didn't walk on water. They may be very, very wise, but when they spoke, the wind and the waves did not obey the very words that they said. And they may love you and care for you more than any other person that you can see, but they did not die on a cross for your sins. You see, hope has a name, and his name is Jesus. And my fear is in desperate situations, we're trying to put our hope in all of these different things that are satisfying in the moment, but I'm telling you, they will disappoint you. See, hope has a name, and his name is Jesus. So I love as Paul, the way that he talks about hope. He talks about hope a lot in Romans. He talks about it in a few other places. But in the area that I want to camp out in is he talks about hope in Hebrews chapter 6. And I love the imagery that he gives us. Hebrews chapter 6, verses, uh, I believe, verses 19 through 20. And here's what it says. I believe it's going to be on the screen for you. It says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul. It's firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf, and he has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So Paul says we have this hope that has a name. His name is Jesus, and it's like an anchor for the soul. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not a great, I don't even know the term, boatsman. 
I'm not great out there. I love to be on a boat, but if you want me to drive the boat, give me lots and lots of water, right? Give me lots of area to move and, and go around in. But he says we have this hope, and it's like an anchor for our soul. So what you do in the boat is if you need to go someplace, you need to camp out for a little bit, you take this anchor, right? And again, I'm going to get these terms wrong. You're just going to have to go with the imagery here, all right? You get this anchor, and you can throw it out into the water. And what you got to do is you got to set it, right? But once you set the anchor, you're now in a safe place. When you set the anchor, now you're in a place where you can move about, the winds can come, the waves can be um, high, the, the, a storm can come, but in that moment, you know that you are safe because your anchor is set, and that's the most important thing. And so what he says is you have hope, and hope is in Jesus, hope has a name, and it's like an anchor. And what this anchor does is it goes out, and whenever you have this anchor, what you can do is you can trust it, and you can know that it's going to keep you safe, and it's going to keep you healthy. I've got a, an anchor here because you guys know I love, thank you, Pastor Will. You guys know that I love props. So this is an anchor. It's heavy. And he says, you have hope. It's like this. But what you do with that hope is he says you place it in Jesus. And then here's what Jesus does with that hope. It says that Jesus goes before us and he goes behind the curtain. It means that Jesus takes the anchor and the, behind the curtain is a reference to the Old Testament. What they had was the Holy of Holies where God would reside. And so it's kind of saying that he's entered into the presence of God or for our understanding. He's saying, hey, Jesus has gone before us and he's taken this anchor of hope into heaven. He's saying that your anchor, the hope, the thing that you're resting your, your life on is it's like an anchor that's going to go behind the curtain. And as that hope is back there, as that hope is beyond the veil, you can't see it anymore. Right? And isn't that the way it feels a lot of times when we say place your hope in Jesus, but I can't see him. I don't know where he is. Well, he's in heaven. So he's saying, if you place your hope in me, I'm going to take it with me to heaven. And then Paul says he's like our forerunner. And that word forerunner in Greek is prodromos. If you like Greek, if you like to study, prodromos, write that down. And what that actually is, it is forerunner, but it's also a term used for a pilot boat back in biblical times. And so what this pilot boat would do is when the larger boat would come out, and they had struggled to get into the harbor because maybe the waves were big, maybe there were rocks, maybe it was a, a small route. This prodromos would come and it would take the anchor from the larger boat and it would go all the way into the harbor where the destination was for the boat. And then what they would do is they would slowly winch that boat in on a path that the boat could not go on its own. You see, all the boat needed was to put the anchor in the hands of the prodromos and as long as the prodromos had the anchor, they were going to reach their destination, no matter how hard or difficult things were. You see, and what we do is we say, yes, I have faith. I have hope that Jesus, my forerunner, has gone before me, that he's in heaven, and that's where my hope is. And as long as he has it, I'm okay. But you see, if you have an anchor and you have a boat, there's still an important piece, right? It has to be connected. I'm not smart, but if you throw an anchor and it's not connected to your boat, it ain't going to do any good. It has to be connected. You see, and the thing about when Jesus, whenever he left, is he said, hey, I'm leaving you, 
In John 14, it says, not only am I leaving you, but I'm going to leave something behind. And as I leave, John 16, it says, it's actually good for you that I go because what I'm leaving is an advocate. What I'm leaving is the Holy Spirit. And this Holy Spirit is a sign of things to come. It is a sign, a promise, a commitment that I have to you. It's Pastor Levi Lusco. He wrote this incredible book called uh, Through the Eyes of a Lion. And the way he terms it in his book is he says, hope has a rope. Hope has a rope. And you see, here's what the rope does, is the rope is the spirit. And what happens is it's, we put our faith in or put our hope in Jesus and he goes before us, he enters the veil, he's in heaven, but then he leaves us the rope and he says, as long as this is tied to you, I'm gonna keep pulling you in. Doesn't matter how high the rocks seem, doesn't matter how terrible the waves are, doesn't matter how the wind is beating against you, doesn't matter how hard this life gets, as long as the spirit has a hold of your life, I'm gonna keep pulling you closer and closer and closer to your destination. Say, our hope is not in this world. Our hope is not in something. Our hope is not even in, 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 a, in a goal. It's not in a cure. It's not in a doctor. It's not in what someone may do. It's not in a spouse. Our hope is in Jesus. But he said, hey, I'm gonna leave you the spirit. And anytime the waves get high, just know that I'm still pulling you closer. That I'm still pulling you closer. That I'm pulling you closer. And I'm pulling you closer. Because eventually one day, we're gonna reach our destination. Christians, believers, this is why we say we have hope because we know that this is not our home. Scripture says we're like travelers that are coming through our home. Our destination is not this life, but it's the next. And our hope, our forerunner, Jesus has already gone before us, but he left his spirit. And he said, as long as you let the spirit take hold of your life, I'm gonna keep pulling you closer. And I don't know how I'm gonna get through this. He said, okay, it's all right, I'm pulling you closer. And this seems very difficult. He said, it's okay, I'm still pulling you in. I'm still pulling you in. Just trust me. So it's funny how you get older, how, how things change. And I remember growing up in a church, and as I say the name, it sounds old now, it was old then, called Azalea Gardens Church of God. And I'm very thankful for this church. This is where I fell in love with the Lord. This is where I got my call to ministry. This is where at 16 years old, I stood up and was shaken and preached my first sermon. This is where people showed up every week and they taught me about Jesus. Even if it was just me and my brothers, they were faithful. I'll never forget, in this church, they had a tradition. Every summer, we would go to what was known as camp meeting. Some of you, you may be familiar with this. Some of you, you may be like, what in the world is he talking about? It was just the church I grew up in, all right? We went to this thing called camp meeting. And all these churches and all these pastors and all these leaders would always come together and my family would always go. It was kind of our vacation for the year. And I'll never forget, they would always get these big choirs and I am not advocating for choirs. Do not get the wrong story, all right? Like I love our band. But in camp meeting, there was a choir every year and they would sing these songs. And every year they would sing these songs. I remember watching what would happen. I remember watching how the room would change I remember watching how my dad, who's six foot four, who I may have seen cry twice in, his, in my entire 30 years of living, how something would change in him when he would sing these songs. And I, and I wrote a few of them down. There's several, but I, I was singing them last night to my wife. I'm like, have you even heard these songs? And she's like, I've never heard. What are you talking about? But here's the words. One song I remembered was titled, My Life is in Your Hands. And some of you, you may have grown up on some of these. You may know these lyrics. I won't bother you with my singing, but I will tell you the lyrics. It says, I know that I can make it. I know that I can stand. 
No matter what comes my way, my life is in your hands. With Jesus, I can take it. With him, I know I can stand. No matter what may come my way, my life is in your hands. And I remember as they would sing these songs, I remember everybody around me with their hands up. And it was like just tears would begin to move. And people were just singing these songs with everything that they had. They'd sing another song titled, I Never Lost My Praise. It says, I lost my focus and I've gone astray. But thank God I didn't lose everything. I've lost possessions that were so dear. I've lost plenty of battles by walking in fear. But in the midst of my struggle and my season of pain, one thing never wavered, one thing never changed. I never lost my hope. I never lost my joy. I never lost my faith. But most of all, I never lost my praise. And then another song, this is the last one I'll share with you, it was titled My Help. And it's basically the words of David in Psalm chapter 121. So in 2 Samuel 12, we read a father who was desperate for God to save his son. He needed hope. And sadly, the end of that story is his son did die. But David wrote these words in Psalm 121, and they, and they basically moved it into a song. And here's the words of it. This is exactly from the scripture. It says, I will lift up my eyes to the hill from which cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord. The Lord which made heaven and earth, he said, he will not suffer thy foot, thy foot to be moved. The Lord which keepeth me, he will not slumber or sleep, for the Lord is thy keeper, the Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not smite me by day, nor the moon by night. He shall preserve thy soul even forevermore. My help, my help, my help, all of my help cometh from the Lord. So you have a guy in David who has lost his son. You have a guy in David who's gone through incredible heartbreak. You have a guy in David who had to run for his life. You have a guy in David who lost almost everything to his own son. He was humiliated. So much pain, so much struggle, but the thing I love is he never lost his hope. He says, my, I look up to the hills. He says, I'm taking my eyes off of all of the circumstances. They are heavy, they are tiresome, they are painful, but I'm looking to the hills because that is where my help comes from. My help comes from the Lord. And you see, it took me a long time to realize what was happening those days at camp meeting. I thought they were singing songs. And I didn't understand why, why they were so broken. I didn't understand why people who had so many worries would sing these songs and just kind of feel a little bit better. I didn't understand why people who were sick, I didn't understand why people who had financial issues, I didn't understand why people who their kids had ran away. I didn't understand in that moment why when they sang these songs, it was like a declaration to them, why there were tears that would come, why there was so much movement in them. And I finally realized something. True prayers of hope are prayers of surrender. What they were doing in that moment is they were surrendering everything to God. They were saying, my hope is in Jesus and it's in heaven. That's my final destination. But in this life, I'm surrendering to the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm surrendering to the path that he wants to guide me on. I'm gonna acknowledge all my ways in him, as Solomon says in Proverbs, and then he will make my path straight. So this morning, who are we talking to? We're talking to people who need hope. This morning, we're talking to someone who says, man, I don't know how I'm gonna get through this. We're talking to someone who's hurting. We're talking to someone who's broken. We're talking to someone who is confused. We're talking to you, and what we're saying is don't lose hope. 
Your hope has gone before you, but he left his spirit. And he's saying, if you would just surrender your life to me, he's going to guide you through it. He's saying, I don't know what it's going to look like. That's fine. Just let him keep pulling you through. And this is really heavy. Just let him keep pulling you through. And nobody has the answers. Just let him keep pulling you through. Because I'm telling you, you cannot lose if your hope is in the name of Jesus Christ and him alone. So hope is for the weak. Let me tell you, I'm weak. I need a savior. And I believe there are some people who are weak. What I want to do this morning is we're going to do a song here in just a moment and we'll come up and do bold steps after that. But what I want to do is I want to pray for some people who'd say, listen, I'm weak. I need hope. This isn't something I'd like to have. This is something I need to happen. And my hope is that through this song here in just a moment and through your prayer, what you'll do is you'll surrender your life. Say, man, I've already given my life to the Lord. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying surrender to the power of the Spirit. You know how people have peace in the most troubling of situations? It's because they've surrendered themselves to the Spirit and said, God, I trust you. God, you know better than I. God, you will pull me through this. I trust you. I believe in you. My hope is in you. As I want to ask you to do, if you were in the room, I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we pray. If you're at home as they're standing, I'm going to ask you to be reverent in this moment, in your room, in your house you're watching it in your car, wherever you are, I'm going to ask you to bow your head and pray with us because we want to pray for you. Can we pray? Jesus, thank you so much for who you are. God, I thank you that we can place our hope in you. That God, hope is for the weak and I am weak. But when I am weak, you are strong. And so God, I pray for some people who need hope right now. God, I pray for people to put their trust in you. I pray for parents who don't know what's next for their children, who don't know if they're doing it right, who don't know how to survive through 2020. God, I pray for hope. God, let your spirit just begin to move in their life. God, let the rope just begin to get tighter and tighter around them. Let them know that you are with them. God, I pray for those who are sick. God, we just put our hope in you and say, God, we trust you. It doesn't matter what the doctors say. It doesn't matter what's going on around me. God, I trust that your spirit is gonna keep pulling me, that my ultimate destination is not here. And so God, I trust you. My hope is in you. God, I pray for those who are struggling with employment. Maybe they've lost a job. Maybe they're worried they're gonna lose their job. God, I pray that right now, hope would begin to rise in their life. That God, hope would begin to move that no matter what comes our way, no matter what happens to us, God, we trust you. No matter how high the waves are, you're just pulling me closer. You're just pulling me closer. You're just pulling me closer. And so God, I pray right now for the weak, that I'm the chief among. God, I pray that you would strengthen us by your spirit. I pray that you would move. I pray that in this song, God, whoever would say I need hope, that God, you would be with them. God, you promised your spirit would be with us. And so God, we believe right now in this moment that your spirit is in this room, that your spirit is at home, your spirit is with each and every one of us. And so God, we say we surrender. God, I surrender. God, I just want to surrender and trust you, place my hope in you, and for you to do what only you can do through the next few moments in Jesus' name. Thanks for joining in today to the 4C Podcast. If you took a next step or you'd like to receive prayer, go ahead and email nextsteps at fourcornerschurch.com and we look forward to connecting with you. Thanks for listening.